The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Um, we're, if we're in the book of 1 Corinthians, if this is your first time here, uh, we're calling the series Pretty Ugly Bride. We've been in the series since September. And the idea of that is that Paul had, the Apostle Paul had come to the city of Corinth and had planted a church. And the idea of the church is, if you've read any of the scriptures, like it, the, the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. So if you're a dude, don't get weirded out. Like it's talking about us collectively as the bride of Christ. And, and unlike like Korah on Saturday, who was just a beautiful, lovely bride, uh, as she stood before John and before witnesses and got married. Uh, if you've been around church also for very long, you know that the idea that the, the church is a beautiful bride, it doesn't always look like that. Like sometimes the church is kind of messy. Sometimes the church is a little bit uh, cranky. Sometimes the little church is a little bit like, uh, uh, has kind of moody. Sometimes the church is kind of messy. It's not a fun thing to be a part of. So sometimes if you're a part of church, you can say, man, this thing is frustrating. Because I thought I, was, I, came, I came to Jesus, I came to this church, and I thought like things are going to be like nice, and people are going to be nice to each other, and things are going to like move along smoothly. And you get involved in church for very long, and you figure out, man, people are a mess, and sometimes it's more frustrating than at work because at work, at least you're getting paid to be around the weird people there. And at church, like you're just coming and you're, 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 you have to be around other people that are weird and you're not getting anything out of it sometimes. And so the idea is that the church of Christ is at the same time both beautiful and ugly. Because if you know, if you've been a Christian for very long, you have actually even been a Christian for very long at all. You've figured out, like, even though your heart has changed and your life has changed, like, not everything has changed, right? Like, sometimes you have really bad days. I don't know about you, but I can go hours and days, and sometimes I feel like weeks, where I just, like, kick it in cruise control, and I'm not really thinking about Jesus or serving him with my whole heart. I have moments, I have days, I have weeks We'll stop there where I'm not really the best, most loving husband to Megan that I should be. I have days and weeks and months where I'm just cranky. Where I have like perpetual man PMS. And if you're a Christian, you are simultaneously a saint and a sinner. Because the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf is what makes you in right standing before the Father. It's not your actions. It's not what you've done. It's regardless of what you have done and haven't done. Because the Gospels we're going to see today is the good news that though you were lost and helpless and hopeless in your sin, Christ died for you and did what you could not do. He was righteous when you could not be righteous before the Father. He was a good and faithful son, a good and faithful child to the Heavenly Father when you and I have not been, could not be a good and faithful son or daughter to our heavenly father. He did that for us on our behalf. He accomplished it for us. And so we are in right standing before the father. And yet we have days where we just kind of mail it in sometimes. And if we are individually like that, what's going to happen when you get us all together to try to share life together? It's going to be a bunch of messy, sinful people who are sometimes in perpetual PMS with each other, and yet we are part of this body together. And we get to learn to, to what it means to be 
that body, the beautiful and ugly, the pretty and ugly bride of Christ at the same time. If you have kids or you've ever dealt with kids, then you know the following statement is true, that there's a way to do the right thing for the wrong reason. There's a way to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Uh, I deal with my kids, you know, Megan deals with them all the time because I'm at work a lot, but, you know, when we're dealing with the kids, there's a way to do that they, that you make them to do the thing that they're supposed to do, right? Like you tell them, go put your plates in the trash can. It could be something simple as that. It's a paper plate. Go put the plate in the trash can. Anybody gone through this? And what do they say? No, I don't want to do that. And all of a sudden it becomes like, it's a very simple thing. Even in their little legs, it's what? 15 steps from the seat that they're sitting in to the trash can to throw the paper plate away. But all of a sudden it's become World War III about the paper plate because they don't want to do it. And so you're saying, no, you're going to do it. And say, no, I don't want to do it. And then finally you make them do it and they do it and they're like got the scowl on their face and they're stomping their feet. And then you're trying to figure out like, is this a battle I'm going to fight at this point or not? Are we just going to go with them putting the thing in the trash? Like there's a way to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Or you're sitting like you're in a, you're in a store and somebody gives them like, uh, the, the clerk gives them a lollipop or a piece of candy and you tell them, tell them thank you. And they're like, no, 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 no. Tell them thank you. No. Or they're just quiet and like, no, you're going to tell them thank you because now it's a standoff and somebody else is watching. So you got to like make sure this happens, right? So tell them thank you, by golly. And you're like trying to whisper under your breath or I will beat you as soon as we get out of here. You're trying to shoot like daggers and lightning bolts from your eyes into theirs to try to make them do the right thing. And finally they're like, thank you. And you're like, all right, we'll take that and we go. There's a way to do the right thing and yet do it for the wrong reason or do it in the wrong way. And in fact, if you, if you, let's take it away from the kids. If you have been in a relationship very long, you know, that's true. If you've been in a relationship with a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, an employee, a spouse, a significant other, then you know, there's a way to do the right thing for the wrong reason or in the wrong way. Megan and I, I, I I'm going to ask you about Megan and I went to, to, to our, our date night the other night with John and Cora. And everything was fine until we got in the car. You know, that moment where there's like a lot of pressure, like trying to get out of the house. And then you get in the car and, you know, somebody mumbles something and then somebody says something. And then just all of a sudden, boom, like it's, wow, you know, there's a way. And in that conversation, I won't give you the details, but there's a way to do the right thing for the wrong reason. There's a way to say the right thing. And there's a way also to believe the right thing in the wrong way. There's times that you and I have been in an argument with somebody else, and you were right, but you weren't right in the right way. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know you were right, but it became such a contentious moment, like a, a prideful moment. You want to prove it that all of a sudden you being right was less important than you proving that you were right to the other person. There's a way to be, believe the right thing and yet to believe it wrongly. And that's the situation that Paul was dealing with at the church of Corinth. And that's what he's addressing in this passage today. It's the sometimes gigantic chasm between what you do and why you do it. There's a big difference between on, on Valentine's Day, your spouse, or you giving your spouse a card or flowers or whatnot because you have to. 
And like she knows like you grabbed it on the way home. And so it doesn't even like fit her. It's like to a cousin or, a, or, or like, hey, from us, because it was a leftover card that was in the rack. And you grab, it's like the, the, the grocery store or the gas station, like flowers, and it was just what was left, and they're kind of dying, and things are falling off. Like, you got the flowers and card to her, but it was not in the way that spoke actual love to her. There's a way to do the right thing, and there's a big chasm between those two. It's, it's a difference between when you send out Christmas cards, and then you get a Christmas card from somebody that you didn't send one to. And so then you have some extras and all of a sudden you fill it out and you throw it in the mail and they get a card from you like because they know that they sent one to you and you didn't send one to them and now you're sending one to them or somebody gives you a present and you like, there's a difference between a pity present and a pity card and someone that was actually came with thought or effort or desire. There's the big difference between doing the right thing for the wrong reason and believing the right thing and believing it wrongly. And that's what Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. You see, Paul had come to Corinth with a message of the gospel, and the message of the gospel is a revolutionary message, no matter who you speak it to. But it comes across differently to two different kinds of people. And you in this room, us in this room, we each fall into generally one of these categories. We're going to call it the religious and irreligious. I don't know if irreligious is a word, but we're going to roll with that because it fits my purposes today. The religious. Those are those of us who are the rule followers. We may or may not have grown up in church. We may or may not have grown up in a strict church environment. There's some people, even if you haven't been in church, like you're the rule followers. You know the, the right thing to do and the right way to do it. It's that neighbor that drives you crazy because they, their house is like always perfect and the grass is always cut on the same day and they look at you kind of funny or they actually like leave notes on your door or in your car because your car's not washed or your shrubs haven't been trimmed. Like it's the rule followers. And some of us in this room are the rule followers. And what we try to do by following rules is we try to earn right standing before God or before man, or before ourselves, by keeping the rules, by doing the right things. It's a way of earning some salvation, or right standing, or righteousness, what the Bible calls it, with ourselves, with other people, or with God, by keeping the rules. Jesus, God came and he chose his people, the Jews, and he gave them these laws, the laws that were holy. It told them, this is how I want you to live. But the purpose of the law is that they missed out on, most of the time was, he gave them these laws and said, this is the way I want you to be holy before me. And he wanted them to see the laws and say, we know those are holy. We know these are the way that we should live. We can't keep them. We need help. We need you to help us. And for them to fall down on their face in repentance and cry out to God for him to help them. Because that's what he promised that he was going to do. He promised he was going to send a savior to help them. But they missed out the whole, the whole point of the story was that that was what the point of the rules were to be. To, 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 to tell them that they could not do it. That they needed a savior to come. But instead, they tried to keep all the rules, and they fooled themselves into thinking that they were doing it. And that's what you and I, who are rule keepers, that we do. We see, like, the right way to live, and we think, man, I'm going to keep 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to keep every single jot of it. And so you have this sort of either a checklist or a mental checklist. And when you do the things that you feel are like what are essential, then you feel good about yourself. You feel good about your life. You feel good about your standing before God and before other men and before yourself. You can, those are the days that you can walk with your, your chest out and your, your head held high. And you're like smiling and whistling on the way to work because you know like, man, I am hitting this every single jot and tittle. I am doing it. I am keeping it so I feel good about myself but then on the days that you're not you feel bad about yourself and so then you'll either feel bad about yourself all the time or you'll find a way to fool yourself into thinking that you're nailing it you'll lower the standards further and further so that you constantly feel like hey that's some rules I can keep but you ignore these other ones that you can't keep those are the religious those of us who are rule keepers that think that we can nail that and that we will have right standing before God and before man. And the gospel came to them and said, here's the truth. The truth is that you are far worse off than you ever thought you were. That's the first part of the good news, by the way. It's not great news to you until you realize the implications of it. But the good news, the first round of the good news to you is that you are far worse off than you ever thought you were. If you're a rule keeper, here's the message to you. You're not doing a good job at it. You are sinful. And if you aren't sinful in your actions, you are sinful in your heart and your mind. That's what Jesus came when he said, like, hey, you think you're nailing it because you're not getting divorced and you're not doing this, you're not doing that. He says, I say that if you even, if you even look at another woman with lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery in your heart. He raised the bar. He said that like, you are far worse off than you ever thought that you were. But the other side of the gospel message to you, if you're a rule keeper, is yet in Christ, through his sacrifice on your behalf, you are far more loved than you ever dared to dream. You're far worse off than you ever thought, but you are far more loved than you ever dared to dream. Then the message comes to the irreligious. Those are those of us who are, we're the, uh, we're the rebel in the crowd. We're the ones that are maybe the black sheep of the family or you grew up in church. You were the, the wayward sheep. You went out and did your own thing. And you're kind of, you're sort of inclined to do that. Like rules are for the other people. They're not for me. I'm the exception to the rule. I know a couple of you in this room have actually said these words to me. Rules are for other people. They're not for me. And so you just want to like go out and live your own life and whatever feels good to you, whatever seems right to you, whatever way that you think about things, that's the way that you're going to live your life. And so what you've become is you become a sort of a God unto yourself. Like what you say is what goes and what you feel is what you should do at any given time. And so you follow this sort of like this sort of inner code, this, this uh, uh, mantra for your life that says, hey, whatever feels good, whatever I think I should do, whatever I think other people should do around me, that's what they should do and that's what I should do. And I'm going to force my, I'm going to enjoy myself and do whatever comes to my mind and to my heart. And I'm going to force the people around me to please me, to love me, to make me feel valuable and worth it. And the message comes to you. You, you are no God. You are far worse off than you ever thought you were. Your way, how's that working out for you? In those quiet moments when you're alone in bed, facing the reality of your life, the secret longings of your soul, 
How's following your own way working out for you? It ends in disappointment. It ends in frustration. It ends in never-ending searching for that which will feel, fill you up. It says, but yet, not only are you far worse off than you ever thought you were, you're far more loved than you ever dared to dream. The message that Paul came to the city of Corinth with is, is that we cannot save ourselves by obeying a code. If you're the religious, it said that Jesus did that for us. We were helpless and we needed saving. And so then some people heard that message like, oh, wow, like, like, so like, we don't have to keep a code. Like Christ died for us and he took care of it for us. Like there's nothing I can do that either bad or good that makes me any more loved by God. And at some point we think like maybe Paul said a statement. He said, hey, if you're, if you're a believer, you don't have to keep this code anymore. Jesus Christ kept it for you. And so now all things are lawful for you. There's nothing that you can't, that, that, is, that is unlawful for you to do. And so if the Bible doesn't say specifically, don't do this, you are free to do it. And so some people in the city of Corinth heard that statement by Paul and they made it their personal mantra. All things are lawful. You see that in the beginning of the section that Jack read. Thank you, Jack. Verse 23 of chapter 10, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. He said, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. We think this was a statement they were making all the time. All things are lawful. But he comes around in verse 24 and says something different. But let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so now he's talking about, in verse 25, a situation that was going on. So whenever, if you were a Jew and you were in a city, whenever you would go to the market to buy meat particularly, meat and fish would be what we mainly sold in the market that he's talking about here. And you went to the market, uh, it was very probable, because in, not in every city, but in a lot of cities, the, the market would be actually be connected to a temple. And so when people would come in and they would butcher the animals and they would uh, clean the fish, they would then offer it to the idol, and then they would go out and sell it. And so if you were a Jew, you weren't allowed to partake of anything that had been offered to an idol. You could eat, the, the rule was you could eat food before it went to the idol, but not after it went to the idol. And so if you were a good Jew, a good practicing Jew, you would go to each booth in the market, and you would say, uh, how much is this? Was it offered to an idol? And if it was offered to an idol, you wouldn't eat it. You would ask all the time because you'd have, you want to know to partake in no part of food that was being offered to an idol. And Paul says, hey, if you're a believer, eat what is ever sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So what he's saying is, and, and earlier in the chapter, he's talking about idolatry as well, and he's telling them, hey, we shouldn't partake with idolatry. We, we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, go to places where uh, people are worshiping false idols and participate in that, even if you're a believer. But what he's saying is, like, while that is, that is demonic and that is evil to worship something else, you don't have to worry about if, something, if somebody else is worshiping and they offered food to you, partake of it. It has no power over you. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Verse 27, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, so if a friend invites you over to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising a question on the ground of conscience. So he's saying, don't worry about it. That, 
that evil demonic spirit, that idol has no power over you as a believer. In this case, you're, you're, you're not worshiping yourself. You're, you're giving thanks. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informs you. So you're sitting at a table and somebody says, hey, I know you're a Christian. I don't know if you want to know, like, this, this meat was offered to an idol. And you say, oh, okay, no, thank you. I'm going to pass on the pot roast today. It would be easy for me to do, pass on the pot roast. I'm going to pass on the pot roast today. I'm just going to eat my salad today because this wasn't offered. I'm, I'm okay with that. Or, no, thank you. I'm not going to have anything today. And he's saying, not because there's any power in whoever offered that to the idol, but because I'm not going to, I don't want to cause this person to be tripped up beside me who told me, Hey, I'll let you know what's going on here. I do not mean, verse 29, your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. What we see here. We see both sides working here, the, the religious and the irreligious that Paul, that Paul came and addressed. You can see the, the irreligious side were saying, hey, all things are lawful, so I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. It doesn't matter where I go, what I eat, what I do. I'm going to do it all because it doesn't matter. Christ has died for me. His sacrifice is, is sufficient for me, whether I... Whether I read my Bible today or I don't read my Bible today, I'm no more loved or no less loved by Jesus. That's absolutely true. So they say, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do then. And that's the people who tend to veer towards the side of the irreligious. Like, whatever seems good to me, that's what I'm going to do. We, take, we tend to take the gospel and we want to bend it to fit and go back to the ways that we before found our righteousness in. So before, you were, if you were a a lawbreaker, if you are irreligious, like you just are God to yourself, then you're going to be tempted to constantly turn the gospel so it fits your purposes. And so it's like, it, so the gospel, like Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, all of a sudden says like, God loves me more than anything else and his world revolves around me and he's just here to serve me and to please me. And when that happens, you've missed the point. But also the temptation is going to be for the religious side, the people who say, no, 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 you can't just say all things are lawful and just go eat whatever. You need to make sure no food has been offered to idol. In this case, it doesn't really fit us at Kroger or Walmart. But you don't have to, you don't have to worry. Uh, uh, whenever you go, you have to ask, you have to make sure nothing has been offered because you need to make sure that you hit every dot and tittle because I feel better about my relationship with God when I'm nailing every, my whole checklist. And you're going to want to bend the gospel to whatever way you sort of naturally flow to. But he says, you've forgotten on both of those sides the point. He says, look at verse um, that we just read, verse 29. But why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? He's saying, you are free the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that Christ sacrificed for you has made you free. But what have you been freed from? And what have you been freed to? That's the difference between, between believing the right thing and believing it wrongly and doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. First of all, you've been freed from external powers. Before in the chapter when he's talking about idolatry, he's, he's saying, hey, 
Like when people are worshiping idols, it's not just empty idols. They're actually worship, they're worshiping demons. And he says, if you have been delivered from from that, from darkness into light, if, if Jesus Christ has bought you, if you have become a believer and have experienced the new birth in Christ, then you've been freed from those external powers. They don't have power over you anymore. If someone has offered idol and they give it, uh, offer food to an idol, they give it to you, it has no power over you. First, uh, Second Corinthians 4, 4 says, in their case, that's talking about the people who don't believe in Jesus yet, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So before you were a Christian, you were very really held under the power of Satan and his minions. He was constantly working to keep your eyes blinded so you would not see the gospel of the, the, the beautiful light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He is working right now with those people who are under his power to keep them from seeing, trying to keep them from hearing the gospel, to try to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before you're a believer, you are very really held under power of the evil one. I said before, like, you might think, if you're not a believer today, you might think that you're free to make whatever decision you want to make, but you are not free. Uh, I've told you guys before, I grew up hating pot roasts. I can't help it. It's always been a part of who I am. Uh, I, I don't really like milk. Whenever I was a little baby, when they gave me milk, I hated it. I'd turn my nose up. I spit it out. I hated milk from the very beginning. I can't help it. It's just something I don't like. I wish I liked fish. I know it's healthy for me. I can't stand the texture and the taste of it. I'm really picky, aren't I? I I can't help it. I can choose at any given point to go eat fish if I want to, but I'm not going to because I hate it. I detest it. It's slightly above pot roast, but it's not far. (laughs) You're always bound by some external power. And if you're a believer, you're a slave to Jesus Christ. But if you're not a believer, you're a slave to the powers of darkness that are working in you to keep your eyes blinded to the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer in Christ, you've been freed from that. They no longer have power and control over you. Your life is qualitatively different today than it was before. You might still have sinful passions. You might still have incredibly powerful sinful temptations. You might have really strong holds of sin in your life, but they are not determinative in you. The power of Christ, the power of his spirit at work in your heart empowers you and will empower you to continually more and more see victory over those sins that once held you bound. It's the hope of a believer and that though we will not reach perfection In this lifetime, when you die or when Christ returns, you and I will be totally freed from the power of sin that is at present in our life. You've been freed from external powers. But you've also been freed from the, the, the drive for internal performance. Titus 3, 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, that drive and desire to, that 
that makes you feel like you have to jump through hoops in order to feel good about yourself, to, to have the people around you approve of you so you can feel good about yourself, or jump through hoops so God will approve you. How many of you in here, you don't have to raise your hand, but you like have a bad day, you sin, you have this besetting sin that keeps knocking you up and knocking you, knocking you off the... <laughs> Edit that on the podcast. And then that keeps, that keeps knocking you off course. And how many of you feel like you have to like, you sort of have to do this sort of inner penance to get back right with God? Like, man, I'd, I'd watch porn again. So like an hour of porn equals three quiet times for three days in a row, and I have to pray at least 15 minutes. Like you may not say it out loud, but inside you sort of have this sort of checklist and that, that once I do that, then I can feel better and I can get on with my life. Or I was mean to my wife, I have to do this and this and this, or whatever it is for you. Any, anything that you have, internal code inside your head that's saying like, if I do this, I can get back right standing, that is counter to the gospel. Because it is only the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf that makes you in right standing. And so this drive for internal performance, we've been freed from that drive. So we have to constantly remind ourselves of what he has done for us on our behalf to free us, to remember that we are free from this drive of internal performance. You've been freed from external powers. You've been freed from internal performance, this dry, internal drive performance. But you've also been freed from seeking false righteousness. Philippians 3, 7 through 9. Paul had just, Paul had just laid out like, his resume to the, to the church in Philippi. He said, look, if, you, if you're going to talk about religious efforts, like I am above all of you guys. I was a Pharisee, I was circumcised, I was boom, boom, boom. He goes down his whole list like, man, if anybody deserves to be prideful for their religious performance, it's me. And he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing Worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. But not only from seeking a false righteousness from, from you feeling like you, are, like you are nailing your checklist, but seeking a false righteousness in your, if you're irreligious, from your performance. There, most of us in this room today, if you aren't counting your righteousness, if you're not feeling good about yourself because you are nailing your quiet time or you're reading the Bible or you're hitting church or you're doing whatever you think it needs to be or things that you're not doing, you are basing your righteousness by the job that you have or, the, it, or the, what, the number that's on your paycheck or the car that you drive or how much people like you. There's some sort of external marks that you are considering to be righteousness for you. And if you are a believer in Christ, you have been freed from trying to find your value, your right standing 
in your paycheck or in your career or in the girl that's on your arm or on your religious duties. Because you have been, you've been saved by the faith that comes from Christ and his righteousness on our behalf. You've been freed from external powers. You've been freed from the drive of internal performance. And you've been freed from seeking a false righteousness. And what does that, where does that leave us? So let's look back at this section where he's talking to the believers about, the, about these situations. Like, you know, meat that was sold in the market. If you go to a friend's house and they, they tell you that the food was offered to idol. Where did, where did, what does all this mean? Like you're talking about this righteousness that's determined for me. Where does it all come down? Verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He's saying, look, if you're seeking to fulfill every jot and tittle of your religious duties, or you're seeking just to, like, the gospel says, like, that Jesus Christ died for me so I can do whatever I want to do, either one of those directions, you're missing the point. Because the gospel is not about religious duties that you're fulfilling, and the gospel isn't about Jesus Christ serving you as, as if you're the sin of the world. The gospel is about the fact that he saved you on his own by his sacrifice on your behalf. And whenever you see how undeserving you are of that, and you see how all-satisfying he was in that sacrifice, that cannot help but to elicit from you a desire to glorify him to worship him, to make much of him. You see, he is deserving of all praise and all honor and all glory and that all of my life must be devoted to making much of him, to letting the people around me see how awesome and amazing he is. To glorify somebody or to something means to show forth their beauty, to show forth their glory, their amazingness, their, their magnificence to the people around you. It's not, it, it's not, it's to make something bigger, but not make something bigger like, like a, a microscope looks at something small and makes it bigger so that you can see it. It's like a telescope that looks at this, at a star. It's gigantic. There are stars that are hundreds of times larger than our puny little sun. And they look like little pinpricks in our, in our sky. But whenever you look at them through a telescope, you see how awesome and large they are. Sometimes you can see the planet Venus and Jupiter. It looks like a little star in the sky, little tiny. But if you have a telescope and you can look at it, you can see how big it really is. That telescope is glorifying, it's making larger that celestial body that is far away that's actually really big and amazing. And your life and my life, when we see how awesome and amazing God is and we experience for ourselves, we cannot help but to respond with a life that is dedicated to it. Everything that I do, whether I eat or I drink or I go to work or I drive my car, to make sure that all of it is glorifying God and showing him to be as awesome and as great as he is. And when that comes into play, then I'm not going to be trying to 
make myself feel better about myself or make people around me think that I'm better than I, than I am by nailing my religious duties. Neither am I going to be saying, hey, like these people were sitting around like, hey, all things are lawful, so I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat. He's saying there's going to be a greater desire that's going to be driving what you're going to do. How can I glory? I might be able to do this, but how can I glorify God in this situation? Maybe it's by eating this meat, or maybe it's by not eating this meat, but it's not about me, it's about him. And when you and I, and you and I are going to be constantly driven to pervert the gospel and make it either about me fulfilling my religious duty so I can feel good about myself, or it, the world revolves around me so I can do whatever I want to do. But when you and I see the gospel, when we see Jesus rightly, it causes us to live a life that's dedicated in whatever we do to glorify him. Think about how that would change your life. If, if today when you leave here and tomorrow and throughout the week, you weren't making decisions about what you're going to do at work or after work or how you're going to talk to your wife or talk to your kids by uh, trying to fulfill some religious obligations, nor because it just feels good to you, but because trying to figure out what glorifies God, what makes him to, be, to seem to be the awesome, beautiful, amazing God that he is so that my friends and my family can see that. That's what Paul is reminding them. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's why he can say, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Not because I'm telling you not to, but because you care more about God's reputation than your reputation. Just as I try to please everyone and everything, I do not not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many, that they might be saved. Because we know that when we see the glory of God, when they really, really see it, they're going to want to bow their knee to him and confess him as Lord. Then he ends with, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul's saying, my life of putting the glory of God before my own pleasure or even what others think about me, I'm following the footsteps of Jesus. That's what he did. He gave up his rights. He could have stayed in heaven forever. But he gave up his rights and he sacrificed himself, becoming a lowly human to win you and I. And why did he do it? He said, for the glory of God. Every time we see him pray, he's talking about God being glorified in his life and that he was glorified in his sacrifice and his resurrection on our behalf. Let us follow him in that path. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. 
At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.